Our Old Testament reading uh, is also the sermon text for today, and that is Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7, I'll be reading the whole chapter. Even by reading the whole chapter, it still will not be uh, the entire account of the flood, but it will be enough for us to look at today. Uh, Genesis chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and its mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, and of animals that are not clean, and of birds, and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Our God, we thank you for revealing to us yourself and your deeds of old, your work of judgment and salvation, 
We pray that you would teach us to hold our minds uh, to the truth, that we might understand and gain understanding, that we might learn and heed what you have written for us, that we might uh, hold fast to you more firmly, that our faith might be strengthened. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This chapter recounts probably the most destructive day in history. Uh, recounts the beginning of the flood, the flood, the flood of Noah's day, the great flood. In it, it spends a good deal of time describing the entrance into the ark. We saw last chapter where Noah had received warning, advanced notice that a flood was coming, although he did not, it seemed, receive uh, news of when it would come, but that it would come, and what he would need to do uh, to escape the judgment to come. And he faithfully uh, obeyed the Lord and constructed the ark for his own salvation and also to provide a place for his household and for... uh, all living things in which there was the breath of life. In other words, things that could not survive the flood itself. You know, those animals that would need to take refuge. And so he had constructed the ark, and now he receives notice that in seven days it's going to come. This is the time. This is it. Um, It might seem a little confusing, but it seems that for those seven days they load up the ark. Uh, They they enter the ark, and then on that very day when it comes, they enter the ark. Uh, they, They finish loading up. And it is the Lord who shuts them in, who closes the door, the one entrance into that ark. And on that day, the 600th year of Noah's life, on the second month, on the 17th day of the month, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. Waters from below, waters from above, collapse back onto the dry land and sweep all life away. Completely destroys mankind completely destroys all the animals in which there was the breath of life, the living things that God had made throughout the earth. It was all submerged, and they all died. God executed judgment upon the earth because man had corrupted his way upon the earth and had filled the earth not with God's glory, but with violence, with sin, and his rebellion. But there were some who were left alive. Noah was left, and those who were with him on the ark, those who had Uh, trusted the Lord, who had walked with the Lord, who had taken uh, the way of salvation that he had offered and all the animals that he had brought to them, they were safe. They were on the ark and the waters prevailed for 150 days. That means they covered the earth. They they were victorious. The waters uh, prevailed for 150 days. Now, next chapter, we're going to see how the waters began to go down. In fact, the whole flood narrative here in chapter 7 and 8 kind of culminates in verse 1 of chapter 8, which we're going to get to, obviously, next time. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. He wouldn't forget him as he is there uh, amidst and above the waves of the flood. But in this chapter, we see it begin. We see all life wiped out, except for those who were spared, who were on the ark. There were 
the seven days in advance. There was the 150 days, or five months, from the beginning of the flood to the ark resting on the mountains of Ararat. Uh, The first 40 of those 150 days, it was raining day and night. Uh, That's the 40 days of rain to night. was the first part of that 150 days. Uh, Then two and a half months after the ark grounded, the tops of the mountains were seen. And then they left the ark about about a year after they entered it. Overall, Uh, It takes about a year that they're inside the ark. To be precise, more like a year and 11 days. Uh, And so the flood takes a long time. It's more than the 40 days and nights that is more well known, although that's the amount of time that it was raining. But that wasn't even the only source of these waters. It was coming from below, coming from above, as it came to overwhelm the earth. The first thing I want to emphasize here is that this flood happened. And it was indeed a worldwide flood. It covered the earth. It was not like any flood that we have seen since. In fact, that's one argument for it being a worldwide flood because at the end, God is going to promise he won't send a flood like it. And we have seen local floods that have caused destruction, but nothing like this global flood. Genesis asserts that it really happened historically. This is a historical narrative, not a poem, not a vision, a prophetic vision. Uh, It's not using metaphorical language. It's a historical narrative tied by genealogy to uh, the present. It's not an isolated parable. Uh, It's historical narrative. In fact, Genesis 10 asserts that all the nations came from Noah, that from Noah and his sons went out all the nations of the earth and spread in every direction. Now, Genesis itself teaches that it was a worldwide flood. To begin with, there's no particular region in view that would uh, limit it by its context. Sometimes in, in Scripture, it will talk about the earth, which can also be translated land. And if the context is, say, this is the prophecy about uh, Judah, uh, and the prophecy talks about all the land is going to be wiped out, you know, in context, that can refer to the land of Judah. But in this context, we don't even know where Noah lived. Uh, there is no particular region in mind. Ever since Cain went to live in the land of Nod, it's said that man begins to multiply on the face of the earth. He fills the earth as he's supposed to. He just fills it with the wrong stuff, like violence, instead of the image of God, uh, the image of God as it was meant to be. And so, in context, the context is global. It's the history of mankind and of God's creation. Next point, to assert this point, is that the language is strongly universal. It matches the language of creation, uh, and it continues to use the word all, every, all. Like in verse 4, every living thing, or more literally all existence, although it doesn't refer to the ocean creatures, for example, but every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. That's why it doesn't refer to fish, because it's talking about the face of the ground. Every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And probably most definitively in verse 19, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. Not just some of the mountains, not just the lower mountains, it's the high mountains, and all of them under the whole heaven, not just part of the heaven. All right, so it's like if there's any doubt, I'm not sure how much stronger you could put it. 
Now, the mountains were covered 15 cubits deep. Why might that be important? Well, the ark itself was 30 cubits deep. Uh, if it was 15 cubits deep, it probably is indicating that the ark was able to pass over uh, the mountains. You know, wouldn't have com- completely submerged in the water, would have risen above the water still. Now, a local flood would not have covered the mountains for seven and a half months. Eventually, the water would have flowed out where it didn't meet with resistance. You know, it wouldn't be a flash. This is not a flash flood. This is water that was sticking around for a while until it eventually uh, goes away. And a local flood in Mesopotamia would not have washed the ark into the mountains of Ararat. The mountains of Ararat are upstream. Uh, They are uh, in kind of what's now eastern Turkey. Um, And so I'm not sure what kind of regional flood would have been able to sweep it up into that direction. Now, one objection is that the amount of water needed to cover today's tallest mountain, to cover Mount Everest, for example, would be enormous to cover the whole earth with that same depth. Uh, But the mountains are not necessarily then the present height that they are now. Uh, In fact, the ground also likely moved uh, in the midst of the flood. Not only were the the, uh, fountains of the deep opened, Uh, referring to some type of movement in the ground. But Psalm 104 describes the retreat of the waters and the appearance of dry ground and says the mountains rose and the valleys sank down. Uh, And so as God created dry land again, it seems that he also, at least during the midst of or maybe at the end of the flood, also caused the ground to change. And perhaps the mountains received the current height then. So it would not have taken as much water if the mountains were lower, to cover the whole earth. The next point, though, is that this was a tremendous catastrophe. This is not a gentle rain that gradually starts to get higher and higher, like a a big pool of water. Uh, This is a catastrophe designed to violently destroy life. Not merely to cover the earth with water, but to destroy everything that lived. Even the birds, even the, the beasts, the the great and strong beasts. It says, all the fountains of the great deep, not just some of them, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. From this description, it's likely that this might have involved volcanic or tectonic activity, that there might have been violent storms and tsunamis with surging floodwaters from above and below, sweeping over the earth in stages as it grew higher and higher and swept over everything, being caught in its midst. This catastrophe left behind evidence as well, left evidence in rock layers and fossils, laying down layer upon layer of sediments over continents. At least that's what we find today, and it matches well with what is described here as a major catastrophe. Uh, The fossil layers reflect then, in this case, if they were caused by the flood, they would reflect the order in which they were buried, in the order in which the floods caught up with them, rather than the order of their evolution, which is how uh, many people take them today. You start with the simplest organisms, and then you get more complicated ones, because the simpler ones developed into the more complicated ones. Or the complicated ones were running away, or lived in areas that the floodwaters came to later, and as things were buried and, and uh, 
uh, sorted by the natural forces uh, that they were buried at different layers, depending on a number of different factors. Uh, but they were buried in rock layers with water. As Ken Ham puts it, what would you expect to find if a global flood occurred? You would find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. And what do we find? We, we find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. In fact, even at the tops of high mountains, you find dead things buried in rock layers uh, even there, even water creatures. And so the flood is one of the most widely attested events in ancient world history. Uh, it's recorded in the geology of the earth, um, layers that were laid down uh, rapidly in a catastrophe. It's recorded in the fossil record. All these things died, and many of them being preserved, and also in human accounts, in human stories, stories that people told later on, from Babylon to Greece to India to Hawaii. Uh, there are traditional stories of a great flood which resemble the Genesis account, that there was a great flood being sent for one reason or another, and everyone died except for one family that escaped on a boat, and from them came everyone. Uh, that type of story is, is found uh, throughout the continents, which would make sense if everyone came from Noah and his sons, being distorted over time according to their local circumstances. Now, also, the point I want to make is that a young earth, or a relatively young earth, an earth that would seem to match the uh, description in Genesis, uh, which recounts a history not billions of years old of uh, required for evolution, but a world that was created by God in, in six days and made all very good at the end of those six days. Um, a young earth, thousands, not millions of years old, and a global flood go well together. If you just have one of them, the evidence gets a little, the, the remains on the earth are harder to explain. But if you have both of them, it becomes easier to explain. Evolutionists will use what is actually flood evidence, in my opinion, to dismiss young earth creationism because they assume that whatever we see in the rocks had to have been formed by the processes we see at work today. Uh, and since it takes a long time for a layer to be laid down, when it's a slow process today, it must be, when we see a lot of layers, that it took a really long time. But if there was a dramatic event that laid down rapid layers rapidly, as we see with local catastrophes that happen, then these evidence that we might be looking at would actually be evidence not of all these years, but rather of a global flood. And so when we have both of these, if we have the global flood, then a young earth would seem to follow quite naturally, that the earth is not that long. Or if we had the young earth but not the global flood, then we would have to deal with what do we do with all of this stuff that we find in the rock. But when you take them both together as a package, it matches the world as we see it, which of course should not surprise us because this is God's word, which is the word of the creator. And so God sent a flood upon the earth, nothing like the world has ever seen since. 
uh, and it destroyed everything in its path. And yet those who were on this ark, as designed by God and built by Noah, they survived. And they were borne up by the waters. The second point that I want to make is that the flood demonstrated God's power and justice and grace. We learn about God from this work that he did. We learn that he is great in power. That's not only manifested by his work of creation, but it's also in his work of destruction that we see his power manifested. We also find that he is just and he sweeps away the ungodly. He is patient, that's true. We learn that he is long-suffering, that he put up with this rebellion for many, many years, gave time for repentance, but in time he shut the door. And that is true even today. There is a time for repentance, a time to be used well, but there is a time in which he will shut the door. He will shut in his people to salvation. He will shut out the rest unto judgment. And by sending the flood, God shows you that you deserve to lose his good creation. God provided the world as a gift to man, as a gift to humanity, as something that was great. It didn't only just satisfy our basic needs, but went far beyond that, filling us with many good things, giving us a wonderful world to enjoy. But God took away his creation from the unrighteous in the flood. It was made a delightful and hospitable place for man originally, but man sinned against his maker and filled the creation with violence, and so God undid his creation. He let loose the waters that he had divided for our sake. He had put the waters above and the waters below, and it's gathered the waters together to make dry land so that we would have a place to breathe, but now he brings those waters over the dry land. He mixes the waters above and the waters below, and it goes back to its primordial state killing all flesh on it. The earth nearly becomes formless and void again. As Peter said, by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. And the flood was a dreadful thing. There were lots and lots of death, dead bodies everywhere. This death demonstrates the evil of sin. Sin earned this judgment from God. If you want to know how horrible your sin is, look back and see what it called for in the event of the flood. It is of his grace, of his mercy, of his long-suffering nature that we do not experience such an event today. A beautiful world was undone on sin's account. The wages of sin is death. All the death we see today Animal death, human death, is also caused by God, is also sent by Him. Uh, But in the flood, this curse was intensified and poured out all at once. In this way, God halted the rebellion of man, as He will later do at the Tower of Babel, too. He judged the evildoers, and He cut off their future. All that they had achieved, whatever great civilizations they might have built, all of it wiped away. No heirs, no monuments, it was swept away. And it also demonstrated that the only salvation from the curse of death would be found in covenant with him. Death is still a reality today. The curse is still in effect. And Jesus will judge the world at his return. And the deliverance from death is still only found in covenant with God 
through faith in Jesus Christ. And we learn, therefore, not only of his great justice and his power, but also his power demonstrated in his grace. Now, God is gracious and saves those who call upon him. He did not completely lose his creation. He undid his creation, but he saved a remnant that would give birth to a new world. In his mercy, he saves a people and restores his creation. And the flood is an example of this. Although his judgment is destructive, yet in judgment he remembers mercy and his grace leaves something behind and restores. As Noah looked to the hope of a new world after the flood, so we look to the new heavens and the new earth that will follow the judgment that is to come. God today offers a way of salvation to mankind. Only the redeemed enter and will endure judgment and inherit the earth. In Genesis 3, God had offered salvation through the promised seed. By receiving Abel's offering, he testified that he received those who drew near by faith. He received those who called on him in the time of Seth. And in the flood, he demonstrates that he spares those who walk with him. He is faithful to his covenant. He will deliver those whom he is bound to. He delivers his people from judgment. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Man was unable to save himself, even if he constructed all that he could, built a high tower. If he went to the highest mountain, he would have been able to save himself. The only salvation then and now is by returning to God and entering into covenant with him. And so the last point I want to make is that the flood calls you to worship and fear the Lord, the Lord of the flood. Fear the Lord and do not scoff at his warnings. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter said, Yeah, people will scoff. Where is the promise of his coming? Things have always continued the way they are now. Why should we be afraid? But they neglect the fact that God created all things by his word through water, and by the same means he destroyed it once before, and now it is preserved for the day of judgment which is yet to come. So meditate upon the flood and let it drive you to honor and revere the Lord, not to to mock him or scoff at his word. Who is like the Lord our God? He speaks and the world is created. He speaks and the world is destroyed. He creates light and he creates darkness. He creates well-being. He creates calamity and disaster. So fear the Lord. That is, do not treat him casually or lightly. You must account for God. The fool forgets God. The wise man fears him. Humility and reverence and awe befits us. And the signs of his power are all around you. His work of creation is evident all around you. His work of judgment is evident all around you. When you see the rocks and the fossils, when you see the landscape around which evidences both creation and curse, this is a sign of God and his work on the earth. So do not scoff at his word. Do not take the present order for granted. It exists because of him. He holds back the waters today. So give thanks for dry land. Those who despise his mercy shall lose it and be swept away. Jesus said that as the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Not in every respect, but in one respect, at least, that before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. They were unaware when the judgment came 
upon them. Likewise, it will be unexpected and will come upon them unawares who do not prepare now before the judgment arrives. This is the day of salvation. This is the day to see to it that you are ready for the coming and to get other people ready for the coming of the Son of Man. The flood came upon one generation, but the coming of the Son of Man will come upon all generations who have ever lived. So even if it's thousands of years in the future, this is the time to prepare for the coming of the Son of Man. The the disciples asked, when will the end of the age be? And Jesus said, be ready for the end of the age. Let's, Let's correct the question. So place your faith in Jesus and follow him by that faith. And finally, endure trials by this faith. Reflecting upon what the Lord did in the flood, uh, there is hope for the one who has cast in his lot with God, who walks by faith. It is worth it to follow Christ. His words are a rock. That's what he said, right? If you believe and practice them, you're like a man who is building upon a rock. His words are solid. And when the floods arise and the rains fall down, your house will stand secure. When, the, when trials and testing and judgment comes, you will stand in that day. You will not be like the chaff which is blown away. You will not be like the foolish man who built his house on sand and have it swept away in the storms. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let us gratefully receive it and rejoice and serve him with reverence and awe. So God sent a flood of waters. It overwhelmed the earth. It destroyed all humanity. The wages of sin is death and destruction. God demonstrated great power and justice. He is not a doormat that will be endlessly trampled on by his rebellious creatures. He is patient. He is generous. But he will not tolerate moral corruption and violence forever. But God is also a faithful God faithful to save those who call upon him. As he saved Noah and his household, so he will save those who enter his covenant through faith in Jesus Christ. Hold fast to him then and endure by faith. Go forth with confidence, knowing that you are secured, no matter what trials come your way, that he holds you fast and will deliver you. He knows how to deliver the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment. He is one who is faithful to his people from generation to generation and even unto everlasting. This world of lust and pride is passing away, but the kingdom of Christ cannot be shaken and remains ours forever. Let us give glory to him. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word, for your gospel, for the news of salvation through Jesus Christ, that we from all the nations might receive this great grace and uh, be saved from the judgment which we have brought upon ourselves. We pray that you would sustain us in this faith, that you would help us to enjoy all of the blessings that you have provided for us in this covenant. We pray that you would also draw in the lost before it is too late that you would draw in those who yet walk in darkness, that they might receive this inheritance with the saints in light. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.